Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet starting at $19.99 per month offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8th, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. The NFL doesn't want to keep hammering home the stereotypes that we associate with the NFL. I mean, there's a lot of stereotypes that people think of when they think of the NFL. They think of racist. They think of homophobic. We think of all the things that John Gruden represented in his emails. No one was shocked. No shocker alert here. We're not surprised. But the surprising part to me right now is that if the NFL thinks that we believe that of 650,000 emails, that John Gruden is the only guy emailing himself and emailing himself back and then Go emailing on. himself and BCCing <laughs> and replying to himself, you got to be kidding me if you think that we believe that's where it stops. So that's where the NFL needs to do better. But for us, it just doesn't feel good. Uh, Renee, after the slew of leaked emails showing various misogynistic, racist, and homophobic language from the now former coach of the Raiders, John Gruden, the NFL has decided that no more emails will be leaked (laughs) and in any way released. And of course, if you're worried if there is... uh, similar kinds of language from uh, from Gruden or from anybody else within that tranche of 650,000 emails, there's none. Don't worry. The NFL's looked into it. We can take their word for it. That's absolutely <laughs> fine. These emails that were, uh, were reviewed during the investigation into sexual misconduct by the Washington football team are now officially clean, according to the NFL. It appears only one NFL employee suffered any real consequences here. Uh, And it was a coach for a completely different team. Uh, John Gruden, you have been offered up as blood sacrifice. So what do we think about the NFL saying, that's it, no further emails? And do we, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) do we buy? I was going to laugh. Jason, you got through that so good. I couldn't help but to laugh. It's a joke. I mean, listen, I've, I've, I've done so, I've pulled some all nighters in my life as a student, uh, you know, read books in an evening, but 650,000 emails in like two days is, that is a lot of reading. Do we believe them? And what do we think? Jason, I couldn't help but to laugh at the joke you just presented at, at my footstep in a sense of, of course, that's not the truth. You mean to tell me that the group that was actually getting investigated, that is just, done like the whole point of that and there's so much going on with that investigation that i'm confused to how that's done i just was made privy of all the different things going on with that investigation so for them like and i don't want people to miss the point the point is that yes john gruden should be gone for yes. those emails the the racist misogynistic homophobic emails he should be gone but then who are we serving up next in a sense of i don't believe That the team that you were actually investigating, are you telling me that nothing came from the investigation other than John Gruden? Well, that's the other. Yeah, like, so John Gruden was sending emails and no, was anybody responding to them? Was anybody, what was the thread? Was anybody writing back? 
like with me. Like I, I tell people they don't have to be like this, but this happens. I don't cuss. So sometimes like when people know that I don't cuss and when they cuss around me, they're like, oh, my bad, sis, my bad. I know you don't cuss. And I'm like, now nah, you good. Like it's whatever. But right. it's almost like that energy where you're not going to say certain things to certain yes. people. So yes. for him to be blasting off these emails, and I mean, these emails are wild and unacceptable. Who is he comfortable saying these things to? Like, who is the welcoming receiver of these words? Because he wouldn't say that to people that he knows would go off or ring the alarm. What? Who is he talking to? I, that's a great point because he is, this is an entree into, you know, Gruden and other people around the NFL who are in positions of power and the way they speak. And I think the thing that is not, it's like, you know, we say this, I feel like so many times on this podcast, but it's like, none of this is really a surprise. Nobody's like, Oh my God, I can't believe it. (laughs) No one's not a surprise. What is, I think disappointing is one that there are people who are surprised who are legitimately like, what? I can't believe it. And who would go out and actually say, well, so people can't like, you know, speak freely on it. I'm sure if I look through your emails from 10 years ago, yeah, I'd find something. It's like, listen, feel free to look through my emails. There's definitely right. nothing Every of that time level. somebody says that, we it's don't like, what have are that you stuff saying? in our emails. <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? It's <laughs> on, work, on, work, on work emails with professional people. And then, you know, the other thing that I think is really, again, not surprising, but you know, just uh, disappointing in that this is how the real world works is on the one hand, you have any number of public pronouncements from the NFL, from NFL PR about Michael Sam or Colin Kaepernick or or, or whoever the case may be, right? Various hot button social issues and uh, through official channels, the NFL and people around the NFL are like, we embrace diversity. It's important. Uh, We know we have, you know, we care about these issues, yada, yada, yada. Behind closed doors, uh, they, people could not be more dismissive. And these are the kind of the same folks. So, you know, that's the part about it that is distressing because I think as, listen, as a person of color in this industry, I'm used to the idea that, People are probably saying stuff that I don't like in other rooms that I'm not in. For sure. And I just kind of hope that that energy doesn't infect the stuff that I'm trying to do in the real world. But we all know it does. And then the problem is when you complain about it, when you say, yeah, but look at the look at the stuff that people are saying or, you know, look at this evidence, uh, then all of a sudden you're the person who is causing distractions, is causing problems, yeah. and yada, yada, yada. Then you're so, the problem on the team. Yeah. No longer the fact that you're the one that's actually having to almost take up for yourself. Yes. Then you become the distraction and become the problem. And in turn, Colin Kaepernick has not been on a team since. I'm just like, I know people don't like to take those type of measures, but when you have the talk that's being talked, the influence that's being influenced, The just sheer energy behind, like, for you to say, you know, you didn't mean any harm. Like, you you literally chose violence in the way that you use your words. Like, you know how people say, like, words could be swords and words could be weapons. Well, the way that he 
like those emails appeared, he was literally using his words as like swords, weapons, the way he was talking about people, the way he was describing people. So for me, it's just hard to, because I'm all for if somebody gives an apology, if somebody yes. really comes to their senses, I'm all for understanding what they're saying. And, you know, like sometimes it does take the whole world telling you you've gone crazy, this is unacceptable. And then sometimes people do really, like a light bulb goes off. I can understand when people want to change and do better, but when you say that, you know, I didn't mean any harm and there's not a racist bone in my body and then we go on to see the things that you said and how you yeah. said them, it's hard for me to believe. One of the uh, descriptions of these offending emails that John Gruden sent really bumped me. So apparently Gruden in these various emails with Alan and other men, one of the emails had attached photos of uh, women wearing only bikini bottoms and one photo of Washington team cheerleaders. Now, of course, again, these emails have been disgorged as part of the investigation into Washington football team regarding the various abuses that took place uh, with their cheerleading team. Um, but that Okay, so that investigation and part of the allegations that the the various former members of that cheerleading team have put forth regard photos taken and trips taken that they felt they could not opt out of. They felt in some form or fashion coerced into doing it, even though it was never explicit, like you have to do this. They felt pressured into, into taking these trips. One of them was to Costa Rica, where they uh, took topless shots and... Another was the discovery that circulating amongst various people within the team was a compilation video of outtakes from various photo shoots that contained material that certainly the women were not aware of and certainly were not aware that it was being traded and passed around. Disgusting. So regarding this photo, do these women know that this photo exists? Where did this photo come from? Like, I have a lot of questions that I don't know if we're going to get the answer to it. Like, is this evidence as part of a criminal investigation, this photo? Like, potentially? I We just don't know. And it is a thing that I think it's important to think it about. Should be. Because, one, we need to know more about that. And two, it it's important to to reconnect with just how troubling that case is and the allegations that are contained in there. And I, I think that's why everyone is still like when the NFL, that's why I was laughing in your intro because the NFL is trying to get us to kind of be like, all right, guys, show's over. Yeah, we got we're done. the bad guy. We got John Gruden out of here. It's over. The one bad guy in the NFL is now gone. And that's that's the problem that I think all of us are having because there was an investigation for a reason. Yes. These are women that are attached to these. Sometimes when these things happen, it's like the the human doesn't get attached to the problem. There are women yes, who are point. still out there that know now that their videos that they didn't want to take in the first place are being circulated all throughout the company. We don't know how many people have been sent that video. We don't know how many videos there are. That's unsettling. And so to hear the NFL say, all right, guys, we're done. Everything's done here. Nothing else to see. It's like, but wait, 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 wait. We understand John Gruden had to go, but what about the real reason you started it? So that's the troubling part about the whole thing. I, I will say it's important to always remember that whatever sports league we're talking about, the commissioner works for the owners. Yeah. That's the W, that's the NBA, that's the NFL, that's whatever. The owners selected Roger Goodell 
to represent them and their interests as a league. And listen, I think that it is uh, something worth notice that thus far in this investigation uh, and the kind of knock on effects from this, these emails into the investigation as part of the investigation in the Washington football team, that the person who has now taken the fall is a coach of a team, not associated with the Washington football team, not an owner, no owners or executives have thus far uh, felt any impacts from this. So, and I'm not saying that John Gruden should not take the fall, but it's interesting that we're stopping it now. We're just like, okay, turn off the faucet now that we've got this person who, by the way, again, was a coach, not an owner, not an exec, and not involved in this in this particular football team. And look, we get it. We're not dumb. The NFL doesn't want to keep hammering home the stereotypes that we associate with the NFL. I mean, there's a lot of stereotypes right. that people think of when they think of the NFL. They think of racist. They think of homophobic. We think of all the things that John Gruden represented in his emails. That's literally, to your point, no one was shocked. No shocker alert here. We're not surprised. But the surprising part to me right now is that if the NFL thinks that we believe that of 650,000 emails, that John Gruden is the only guy emailing himself and emailing himself back and then sure. emailing himself and BCCing <laughs> and replying to himself, you got to be kidding me if you think that we believe that's where it stops. So that's where the NFL needs to do better. We know that they're out of those 650K emails. John Gruden, what is an email in himself? There was people he felt comfortable yes. sending them videos. Felt like there's people there that there was a comfortability that the, the Washington football team felt to pass around. There was something there. Yes. And so it's not over. I know that it probably is over because if the NFL is basically saying, we're not going to give you nothing else to incriminate ourselves, then it is over. But for us, it just doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. They always told me to follow my dreams. Maybe that's something that they say to a lot of kids. Push-ups. I'm too tired. You're the number one player in the area code. What do you think the haters want my baby to be? Tired. A team stands for each other. Win or lose, you walk on that court with swagger. You walk off with swagger. That was from the new Apple TV Plus series, Swagger, inspired by NBA superstar Kevin Durant's experiences. The show explores the world of youth basketball and the players, their families, and coaches who walk the fine line between dreams and ambition and opportunism and corruption. The show is available October 29th on Apple TV Plus, and the star of the show, O'Shea Jackson Jr., joins us now. O'Shea, welcome to Take Line. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You know, I appreciate it. Uh, so in Swagger, you star as a, a former standout prep basketball player named Icon. How'd you, how'd you prepare for the role? How'd you get ready for it? Funny story. Um, I was prepared for another role. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was supposed to be a different character in the series. And that was my, my first uh, go around with swagger and, you know, when you send your sharks, your agents in to get to get that bottom line, sometimes they push a little too hard. And, you know, Apple was like, all right, bro, you know, thanks for buying the phone. Now get your ass out of here. 
Well, then, <laughs> and then um, while I was doing promo uh, for an, a film, I did uh, Long Shot. You're great in that. So funny. I got a call from my agents like, yo, guess what's on the table? I was like, all right, what's popping? And they were like, yeah, Swagger's back on. I was like, oh, okay, season two. And they're like, oh, no, season one still. I was like, how is that possible? They're like, well, there was a situation with the lead. And uh, basically, they want you to be the lead now. And I was like, oh, well, that sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, you know, I... um, I played basketball my whole life, coached um, coached my, my younger brother. So I knew about that element of, you know, helping a, a, a young man succeed, a team succeed and do what they think is unthinkable. Um, that's one of the best feelings in the world. Um, I play Ike, you know, former, former star of the city. Um, you know, he, he used to be the man, but my mom has a saying uh, used to as a rooster that don't crow no more. So he got to switch up. <laughs> no, yeah. I love that. I love that. And it's interesting because the show is executive produced by Kevin Durant based off of his youth basketball experiences. So I'm just curious, like, one, was that kind of wild? You said you was a hooper your whole life. So was that wild that Kevin Durant, like that world, the intersection of sports and entertainment, crossed to where now KD, who is still a superstar in the league, is an executive producer. And then was there anything that surprised you about the world, like that world as you made the show? Um, yeah, first of all, it's 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 crazy to be able to work uh with and for a guy like Kevin Durant. Um, you know, he's a an inspiration for so many of us in the black community. Um, you know, especially those who look to basketball as a as an outlet, you know, as a way to express themselves or maybe a way to get away from some of the things that life throws at you. Uh, I really love the story because, you know, you always hear the whispers of how shady, uh, you know, the, the inner workings of that side of things are, you know, when whenever you have kids and money involved, probably some shady business going down. And I love that we get to shine a light on on that subject. And it's not just whispers anymore. It's brought to the forefront of, you know, the people over at Apple and CBS are are doing their part to shine a light uh, on the subject. And I'm glad to be a part of a show that will hopefully educate and teach these young athletes how to protect themselves and not just the athletes, but young people uh, mm-hmm. all over, all over the country in whatever situation that they're in. We hope that swagger will help educate, strengthen and give them the swagger needed to prevail. Yeah, you mentioned it. Uh, this show deals with, you know, the intersection of, of youth athletics, corruption, what happens when you have a lot of money pouring into a sport that is primarily based around kids. Um what are some of the kind of like real life societal issues that the show is is trying to explore? And were there any particular like actual incidents, events that you are, are going to are going to find its way up through the show? Um, obviously, um, the the one you cannot ignore is uh, social injustice. And, um, you know, 
the what happened with with George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor and all these names that that have become implanted in our our minds uh, with tragedy. You know, it's not it's not when you remember someone's name, it should not be tragic. It should not be something that that causes pain. I know when the time happens where where I go, when people speak my name, I, I wanted to bring a level of joy. And with the the way that the social climate is now, like I said, it, it's it, it's it's impossible to ignore. Of course, we speak on that. We speak on uh, the pandemic. You know um, how the world had to shift on the fly, figuring it out as we went. And um, we speak on, obviously, with the things that young athletes have to go through, but young people as well. Some people come from abusive homes. Some people are, are, you know, put into situations, young ladies put into situations where they feel like they don't have a voice or anyone listening for that matter. We speak on that as well. we also touch on um, people moving here uh, with a hope and a dream, and you're the only one the family can rely on because you're the one that's good at basketball. Like it's it's all those pressures that people might not know that so many have to go through in the position that the kids are in. You know, that's a big you. You hit on a lot of so basically, Swagger hits on a lot of big topics that are current and relevant right now. You know, the stuff that you were saying, that's relevant right now. Women that don't have voices, you know, tragedy attached to people's names that shouldn't be. And even the hoop dreams, you know, there's plenty of people we see with name, image, and likeness now. A lot of athletes may be able to stay in college because they can make money. But we saw before that there will be athletes that left college to try to make money for their families, those hoop dreams. And I know you said you were a hooper all your life, that's one thing to be a hooper all your life, but how did you feel having a hoop on camera though and be an icon and be this superstar hooper? Because yeah. listen, I hoop hoop. So I'm a, I'm watching like, okay, I can see yeah. he used to play a little bit, a little something, something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's great when you scripted to win. You know, that's the best. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. That's you know, nice. I'm going I'm going in with mad confidence. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, it's a done. Bet the over. I'm about to kill it right Bet now. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it was great. Um, something that I really wanted uh, coming in was to earn the respect of my guys, of the team. You know, we have, of course, there are some of our players who are just actors. And then there are some yeah. of our players who really hoop. And they will call you out. They will dog you out. And it is a pack, a pack of wolves. And so I have to earn their respect. Or they go, you know, they're going to they have some choice words. It's, I actually uh, love it's, hearing that. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, you can't you can't just be out there uh, fugazing. It's, 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 important. <laughs> it's important. And especially when you got Reggie Rock, you know, our our, our captain, saying, you know, we're not going to cut these and just like edit it where it looks like it went in, right? You got to really you hit You really got to make it? Yeah, you really got to hit them. And so, you know, if we if you miss, we're taking another take. And you don't want to be up there and be like, Shay's shot take 67. Yeah. You know, you don't, 
<laughs> yeah, you can't. You can't have that. So you better bring it. Uh, it was fun. It was a good time. But of course, you know, scripted W's are still a W in the book. Hey, that's a dub, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, KD, of course, the the EP of the show. Uh, what was his involvement? Like how 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 much how into like the notes giving process was he how much direction did he give to what y'all were doing and uh at any point did you try to tamper and get him on the lakers um yeah well kevin no everyone knows that i call him kevin should have been a laker durant and you know kevin really laid out the bones of what he wanted uh this project to be and then from there he picked the right people to entrust with uh, with his idea, and he was uh, he had his phone uh, ready for for any type of messages that I, I needed from him. I asked him um, about a little bit of the player coach dynamic. I asked him, you know, what did or some of the things that Steve Kerr would say to him, and like you know all those things from the professional level. Um, I also asked him. Uh, uh, what were some of the things that kept him motivated? You know, your world champion, gold medalist, uh, uh, you know, all stars, MVP, all these things. You know, what really keeps him going? It was the same question that I asked the late great Kobe Bryant in our first and only phone call conversation. Was you know, what's that? What's that fire in you that keeps you burning and wanting more? And then the last question I asked him was at the time, was he aware that the Los Angeles Lakers were the 2020 NBA champions? <laughs> <laughs> then he stopped answering my text and like, yeah, I, don't know, like, like red, I don't know what it is, but I haven't really asked any more questions after that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you mentioned it, so I have to ask, you know, the Lakers, y'all all right? You got LeBron, AD, Russ, um, you gotta be feeling good. Look, yeah, you gotta be feeling good, so... <laughs> What predictions? You got any predictions, y'all? The champs this year? What's up? All right, now I'm not gonna be that guy who comes <laughs> up here and, and tell y'all some some you know convoluted lie. But let me just tell you, we're gonna win the championship this year. Oh! <laughs> okay, well, nobody has to say. I'll argue all day on Twitter. You will never see me count out the Lakers. I. I, they are they are everything to me, <laughs> and I want banner number eighteen. All right, my blood is purple, my bones are gold, and they don't want it with us. Westbrook, I need if I could get Russell Westbrook and Carmelo a ring on the Lakers. You said oh. if I can, I'm done. If I can, if I can figure out how to get this done, God. Oh. <laughs> Oh, I just oh love it. I love goodness. it because you know, once you win a chip with with the Lakers, you're 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 a part of the franchise forever. Yep. And and if oh, if Russell <laughs> and Carmelo <laughs> can get one on the Lakers, that all time Lakers team is so good. <laughs> it's disgusting. Oh Our bench gosh. alone would be disgusting. Okay, so the show is Swagger. It premieres <laughs> on Friday, October 29th on Apple TV Plus. O'Shea Jackson Jr., thank you for joining Take Line. Thank you all for having me. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. 
Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. The yes. W. Let's go. The WBA <laughs> season is officially over on Sunday. The Chicago Sky clinched their first ever WNBA Ooh. title, defeating Dinah Taurasi and the Phoenix Mercury 80 to 74. I'm telling you right now, as I was watching the game, the atmosphere, it was unbelievable. It felt electric in Chicago. They had a sellout crowd for game three and game four, which Hello, women's sports. Get into awesome. it. And it, it like, that's an amazing achievement in, in general for the six seed. But the way that they went about it, they were playing a five seed. So a number five and six seed were in the finals, which is yes, pretty rare. But Chicago went 16 and 16 in the regular season. So, you know, that's up and down. Mm-hmm. That's an up and down season. We'll get into the game, but how about the story of Candace Parker? She returned home to Chi Town, won a championship in her first year. That's a story right there. You can't make this stuff up. The the amount of stories that are contained within this Chicago Sky team are unbelievable. Candace Parker's homecoming, uh, Coach Wade pushing all the right buttons at the right yes. time. The yes. fact that we have in Vandersloot and Quigley a married couple on this team and yep. <laughs> Vanderquigs. You Vander need another, Qui- They're the, the Vanderquigs. The, the Vanderquigs. <laughs> And I can't even imagine the like what it must feel like as Courtney Vandersloot, an incredible floor general all series and all season, to be there like watching her wife absolutely go off and shoot them to the championship. That's got to be an incredible feeling. Like There are so many fun stories and really fascinating stories around this team. And to add on top of that, that it was – an incredible game, a come from behind win. You mentioned it as the six seed, two single elimination games, beating the sun, which is a thing that I don't big time. I, I mean, I didn't think that they were going to do that. You know, the sun were a dominant force. Uh, yeah, uh, they won like 14 straight home games, something wild like that. So th- there's just like an unbelievable amount of storylines just contained within this team and it was really fantastic to watch add on top of that the fact that it was like a thrilling and absolutely thrilling game just absolutely electric so so fun it was a thrill in manila definitely in a sense (laughs) of i mean even down to the end but what i loved is that you know when we talk about the growth of the WNBA, who's Mm -hmm. following the WNBA. I say this because people need to hear it. Your favorite player is a fan of the WNBA. Just for people to understand, the whole Phoenix Suns team 
was courtside when the games yep. were in Phoenix. They, I mean, I'm talking about the whole team. They had players from other teams there. Damian Lillard was courtside. Not to mention the WNBA players that are showing up in drones just to watch the finals. Like, we're all fans of the league. And then when Chicago, it was like, all right, it's our turn. Yep. Chance, Chance the, rapper the Rapper was on the sidelines, <laughs> turned up. Reverend Jesse Jackson, Scottie Pippen, and again, the WNBA players. Hashtag WNBA Twitter was out there. I saw a lot of those faces. It was like a real celebration. It made me think of, so you know in the NBA when it's all-star, that's like yeah. an event. It's a it's not just an all-star game. It's an entertainment event. It's an event that people go to. The who's who's are there. We never really had anything like that for the WNBA, like just yet. Like that's never really been a thing where you could expect that. People are going to come to the games dressed like they're going to the club afterwards. We ain't never yeah. seen that in no WNBA games. We haven't seen to this degree. There's always been some type of following. But to this degree, we haven't really yeah, seen as many celebrities, pop culture, just all of that coming together. So for me, I was really excited about everything about this finals, even the storyline. I know Diana Taurasi mm -hmm. and the Phoenix Mercury didn't win, but she clinched to go to the finals then the next day had a whole baby. Then the next day started the finals. There's a storyline there, too, yes. that people were following the story. And, I mean, even the villain that the Phoenix Mercury have become of the league now. I think <laughs> well, we they embraced that. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why are you laughing, Jason? Okay. okay. Well, we got it. Was it was absolutely important that we give the Chicago Sky their props. Clear Copper, 2021 WNBA Finals MVP and well-deserved was just a force all series. Um, big time, big time play. But a lot of the talk after the game was uh, due to the fact that the Phoenix Mercury, all I know is I'm watching the post game. I'm watching the celebration. I'm, I've got one <laughs> eye on the, you know, the post game preserve to see what the, 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 the talk is going to be that emerges from there. And <laughs> the next tweet I see is, the Mercury have not made a statement. They won't speak to the press. And actually, they're gone. They left. The they were out, of, they were the out of the building. Yeah. I've, what? I mean, it's unfortunate because, listen, hard feelings happen, as you yeah. know much better yeah. than I do, when you lose a finals, when you lose an important game. But to not talk to the press in this moment, the clinching game in the finals, it kind of takes away a little bit, forget the whether it's classy or whatever, it it steals a little bit of the moment from the champ because now we have to talk about this. Yeah. And I think that is the unfortunate part of it for me. 100%. So I was covering the WNBA finals with NBA TV. And mm -hmm. so one of the things that we do in our post game is we cover the pressers. So we're sitting there, <laughs> you know, we're on TV now. I'm telling you, we got a post game show going on on TV and, you know, we're covering first. And, and I need to mention too, that the Phoenix Mercury team, you know, they gave hugs to every single player right. while on the court. To me, that was a big show of classiness. Kalia Copper said much respect to Diana Taurasi mm -hmm. for she made sure that the, she found everyone on the team and congratulated mm -hmm. them. So to me, that's the harder thing to do while everybody's celebrating and turned up and you just lost. That's hard to do. Um, Sandy Brondello, she did her press conference. So we covered that and we're going about our show <laughs> and we're like, oh yeah, you know, like this is so crazy, the story. And then we get to, you know, coach 
Wade, and I'm so glad you mentioned because that needs to be talked about a lot. If people haven't heard his press conference after the game, listen to it. He talks about having to fight for people to believe his intelligence. He talks about because of how he looks, how he Mm -hmm. might be from somewhere that people may not assume that his IQ is high enough that he had to fight for that. He even turned his hat backwards in the press conference to say representation matters and yes you got a coach that wears his hat backwards and for the kids that look like me and the little boys and little girls that look like me you know we here and so I thought that was a really dope press conference and then we keep it moving Kalia Copper comes in and tries to take coach Wade she's like hey we need to get our coach and our GM in there to turn up with us in the locker room and then they were like yeah Ka actually Coach, you can leave. Kai, you got to stay and do some media. She was like, what? And she was like, no, no, no. I want to turn up. That's another thing. You know, when you are an MVP, you got to leave the turn up festivities and go do media. And then after she's finished, here come her teammates. And we see Candace Parker, Courtney Vandersloot, Allie Quigley. The Vander Quigs have arrived. You know what I'm saying? They're, They're in the building. And their press conference was, as you would imagine, they went down Memory Lane, Allie Quigley and Candace Parker are both from that Chicago area. Yeah. So that meant more to them. They go down and tell different stories. They go, you know, they go through the normal press conference that you would expect. So our show is just rolling. I'm like, you know, Kristen Ledlow, friend of the show. She's been on the show. Yes. Her, her and Candace Parker are like best friends. So she's literally crying on air. Like, so I'm like, Kristen, get it together. We're covering it. <laughs> It was a celebration because, again, I was at Turner and that's where Candace Parker works. She, yeah. You know, she works for Turner. So it was like a more of a celebration, too, in that place because a lot of people knew Candace. So the show's going well. Kristen has stopped crying, got her makeup fixed up. And we're sitting here like waiting on the press conference from the Phoenix Mercury players. And I go on Twitter because, of course, that's my newspaper. I'm like, what is going on here? And I'm starting to see things like. The Phoenix Mercury have left the building. Yeah, and we're on air. Like, what? so we're waiting on the presser. So I say, uh, you know, I talk to our producer. I'm like, um, hey, I think Phoenix is gone. I don't think there's going to be. So we're coming up off the break, and they're like, all right, let's do these highlights for this next segment. Then we'll find out what's going on. So basically, we're stalling time on air, waiting for the press conference that we realize now is never going to come. So I eventually had to go on air and give a statement. Like we had to cover the fact that there was nothing to cover. And to your point, it took a little bit away from the championship in the sense of there was a lot of chatter on Twitter about it. Like a lot of people were surprised about it. You know, even I talked about WNBA Twitter was in the building, but a lot of those people are also journalists. So a lot of people wanted those quotes, wanted to get the thoughts, the reactions. Absolutely. And it became a big story online. And I said exactly what you just said. Like, you know, the most unfortunate part of it all is that some type of limelight is going to be taken away from Chicago. But because we've all, you know, any player, I've had to face the music plenty of times. When we've we've lost in the tournament for for college, that's a big deal. You don't want to be snotting and crying on the podium. But here we are. And it's, it's tough because I know mental health is a big component now and I know that that's talked about a lot um and I don't negate that but at the end of the day too somebody like that Great can point. handle it has to come like somebody has to face the music and if it's somebody that's like look I can't handle that right now okay that person can't handle it but there needs to be like two people that yes. just have to volunteer as tribute Great 
point because I think with some of the conversations we've had around press conferences and athletes and athletes feeling uncomfortable in certain situations doing press, whether it be because of mental health or other toxic and, and you know, uh, issues with the, that particular media environment, I could see people saying, oh, well, now, so now it's fine. Here's the exactly. thing. When we're talking about, like, tennis, Naomi Saka is it. Nobody wants to hear from her coach or her hitting partner. She's the only person on the court. It's it's different. This is a team sport. There's a dozen people that could have come out and said anything. It would have been great to get uh, Diana's perspective as a real peer to Candace's in terms of like their stature in the sport and to get that perspective about what it means. I, you know, uh, the, the pictures of the door that, uh, <laughs> that Diana shattered uh, after the loss started emerging on social media. So clearly she was heated at the same time. I think, I think when, when they cool down, they will regret this is my guess because, you know, Diana's got three titles. One of them yeah. against Chicago. Like, 2014. It's not like this is the last chance at age 39. You're never going to get another chance. You're a three-time champion. It's just unfortunate. I, again, you know the feelings more than I do about how hard that must be. But then again, just like go up there and do like a Rashid Wallace. Both teams play hard if, if you're that upset about it. I would say the other thing that is a little bit mystifying is – it didn't seem like – now, of course, uh, Diana had the incident with the ref where she pushed the ref in game three. Uh, people were looking – you know, some critics were like, oh, suspension, a bigger fine, whatever the case may be. Uh, Tarasi said that she didn't know it was the ref in the heat of the moment, I believe, or that seemed absolutely reasonable that she just got caught up. It didn't seem like there was anything in this finals game – that was like beyond the pale or something that was, you know, more intense, more uh, something that would get a team that angry that they wouldn't take the podium. Yes, there were some calls that went either way. That's always going to happen. They, uh, the refs let them absolutely play intensely yeah. physically. And, I, and I, you could argue, and I think fairly argue, that that benefited the sky. They, they put... Uh, Dolson back in with five fouls, which is an absolutely gigantic call. She then uh, made two baskets that really swung the game. Her physicality, the fact that she's just like this body leaning on Brittany Griner all game, like wearing down the bigs, that was huge. But I couldn't find anything in that game that leapt out that was like, uh-oh, players are going to be so mad that they're not going to want to talk about it afterwards. Was there anything that leapt out to you that seemed like – yeah, I know what you're missing, Jason, and it is the spice. Yeah, it was what, spicy. So there was, I mean, there was a, a lot, lot of trash of, talk. You know, yeah, Tarasi's there was one a lot of the biggest of, trash talkers. So. Exactly, but there was some Sophie Cunningham in there. For there sure. was some Kalia Copper in For there. Sure. There was some Griner in there. So there, there was there was the refs that I'm sure I'm sure if you ask Phoenix, you know how you're watching it from your right. lens. But if you yeah. ask Phoenix how they felt about the play calls, I mean, honestly, let's even reverse it. Let's rewind it a little bit. 
I can remember the press conference the game before this where Coach James Wade went on a very large rant talking about the foul disparity, how many free throws they did not get for the Chicago Sky. (laughs) Yep. So then you had that happen, and then you had what happened with Dinah Taurasi, the fans. There were some fans that thought that the only solution was to suspend her because that's what the rules said, and then we saw that it was a $2,500 fine. So then you go into this game. So all that stuff happened Before this game, the spice happened. Oh, Sophie Cunningham on her Instagram story, somebody had said something about she was snatching ankles, the ankle shaker. She reposted it with the crying emojis. I'm sure that that didn't sit well with some of the (laughs) Chicago. Kalia gave her the gave her the look at one point. So the ultimate meme that we have all seen is where Kalia Copper is looking Sophie Cunningham dead in the face, talking about some, do you want some problems? Because I am called problem in my pastime. So that's what happened. So there was all of this energy. So that's what I mean by the spiciness. There was all of that going into game four, and I couldn't wait. I was tweeting about, I I can't wait for this game. I hope that there's barking. Even Skylar Diggins, they asked her during the interview during the game, Shouts to Roz Gold on Wood A. She was like, you know, there's a lot of talking in, and and Skylar was like, yeah, this is a game four in the finals. That's what it's supposed to be. Like, what y'all expect? Like, you know, like she basically said the water is wet news, but yes, there's some energy here. We're trying to win a championship. This is an elimination game. She was barking at the crowd too. Having said all of that, imagine Phoenix feeling like the fans was already trying to get Diana out of the game, right. feeling right. like they weren't getting any calls because the coach Coach Wade was complaining. They're probably <laughs> thinking that everyone, it was probably like Phoenix Mercury versus everybody, you know, those shirts. They probably really felt like that. So when they lost the game yeah. and in the manner they lost that it was close and they probably felt like there were many, many, many calls that didn't go their way, that's how doors get bust wide open. <laughs> and that's <laughs> that's how probably, I'm not saying it's okay, but right, I'm know, just saying... That's probably how their mindset was in a sense of, man, we're out of here. Everybody already wanted to kind of get us out of here. Well, we out then. You don't like us. We out. Like, that's probably. Look, no one told me that. I didn't hear that from any players. This is complete speculation, but that's kind of what I'm probably thinking that was the energy behind it. Well, listen, it was was an unbelievable game. Really an unbelievable game. Congrats to the sky. Uh, what a fantastic season, what a wrap to the season, and onward and upward from here. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com.
At 12.01 Friday morning, the NBA locked out its players after failing to reach a new collective bargaining agreement. The two sides met for three hours in New York Thursday, and according to the league, the players' final proposal would have raised average salaries to $7 million in the sixth year of the deal. NBA Commissioner David Stern was asked at a news conference when he knew a deal could not be reached. I guess when their new proposal increased the amount of additional compensation that they would receive and took their average salaries up from $6.5 million to seven in the face of a league that's looking to try to be profitable. Well, uh, we are approaching December 2021, uh, which will make it a shocking 10 years since the last NBA lockout, the work stoppage that I think you could fairly say uh, altered the landscape of the NBA and has given rise to a lot of the things that we're seeing now within uh, that sport uh, a new commissioner, Adam Silver, uh, a large momentum swing in the, in the power of star players. Uh, we are delighted to be joined today by senior writer for Sports Illustrated and co-host of the crossover pod, Howard Beck, who covered the lockout extensively then for the New York Times and who uh, followed my Twitter account during that time. <laughs> and Howard would say and has said is responsible for my career now. I would not have a career if it wasn't for Howard I Beck. I have to hear this. Who Let has, me in on who, the joke. Who promoted my Twitter account during the lockout and then uh, has later taken full credit for my career. And I give him that credit. Howard, thank you for joining Take Line. <laughs> thank you for that wonderful intro. Thank you for having me. Wonderful to see you. And wonderful, uh, just wonderful to see you, Renee, as well. Um, yes. I, I mean, listen, first of all, congratulations on not being a corgi. <laughs> Jason, that's right. I was an anonymous. What? I was an anonymous dog avatar at that time. You were oh, a, you wow. were just a corgi avatar, and until you actually revealed yourself, your identity by both name and face, I there was a very big part of me that just thought it's just the corgi. It's a really damn cute corgi and a funny <laughs> as hell corgi. So props to the corgi. Um, <laughs> but dude, you were you were killing us. We're sitting, me and Ken Berger and Alan Hahn and. Uh, all, all kinds of folks, Brian Mahoney, the, you know, rogues gallery yeah. of NBA reporters. We're sitting in these freezing ass hotel lobbies covering the lockout or we're on sidewalks. It's 2 a.m. It's 3 a.m. We're, we're just punch drunk. We're drunk on bad pizza and all this other stuff. And out of the blue, there's this guy, this Corgi <laughs> with the funniest fucking NBA jokes, like just crazy ass twisted shit at David Stern's expense or Adam Silver's expense or like who knows like dance uh, Gilbert's expense somebody there were just like this constant barrage of one-liners and weird observations and just funny shit and it was it was keeping us sane I mean maybe it was making us more insane I don't know it was one or the other <laughs> but it kept me entertained and it was like it would be the middle of the night you th you feel like you're all alone. There's a handful of yeah. us who are there for the, the worst of these, the longest of them. And Twitter, this is 10 years ago. Yeah. Twitter was a different place 10 years ago. Definitely. And so just yeah. getting any feedback at all that people cared about the lockout, that we were ruining our personal lives to cover, uh, was great. And so, yes, uh, I... I immediately started following you. I retweeted you like crazy, and your career took off from there. You're welcome. Wow. Hey, thank you very much, Howard. Wow. The check is in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> the check is in the mail. Okay, so it's been 10 years. Uh, take us through 
quickly the lockout, the kind of issues that led to it. And and then we can talk about like where we are as a, looking at the NBA landscape now. So what led to it was up for much debate then it probably still would be. that People will relitigate the living crap out of this, I'm sure. If you believe the NBA, it was like 27 out of 30 teams or some crazy number were losing money. Okay. So there I you mean, go. I, I, yeah, I don't believe that to this day, but that's fine. Hundreds of millions they were they were reportedly losing. And so what they wanted was to kind of rebalance things. At that time, players were making 57% of what we call BRI, basketball-related income. And the owners wanted to ratchet that down because 57% was breaking certain franchises. I, by the way, I believe, especially then, because we were coming out of uh, an economic crisis then, if you recall, there were a lot of teams or a significant number, maybe not half the league, but there were a significant number in smaller markets that were certainly having a trouble, uh, especially with that 57%. Because 57% means more or less every single team is somewhere in that vicinity. It's an actually an aggregate number. It's right. league-wide. But it's easier for the Knicks and the Lakers to absorb that than it is for the Indiana Pacers. So the league was like all about rebalancing this. And they were also do, uh, making their first real inroads, I think, at that time toward major revenue sharing to try to help the smaller markets with extra input from the bigger markets. Um, but what had also happened, of course, the year before that was um, this guy, LeBron, right. left oh, Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah. You might have heard uh, about the story. It was kind of a big deal at the time. <laughs> yeah. This decision thing with a capital D. So LeBron <laughs> conspires, one some would, would say, to go to Miami with uh, Bosch and Dwayne Wade, who was already there, uh, to form the super team. And it freaked the crap out of the owners. Certainly Mickey Arison, the owner of the Miami Heat, and many others. And so they also, I think, were trying on the just the money aside on the uh, just mechanics of how the league operated, the CBA, the salary cap. They wanted to try to stem that tide. Um, hasn't worked out so well looking back. <laughs> but those were some of the things that were uh, animating the lockout. So I'm curious because during that lockout um, – there were, you talked about the owner's point of view. That's the same thing we heard in the WNBA. And we still hear it right now. So I'm, you saying that, it's like, you know, yeah. and I'm on the other side of things now. So this is interesting because when the NBA lockout happened, I was year two in the WNBA, eyes wide open, you know, like excited. And now from another position, do you like and, and not to to hijack it, but is that a normal thing in a sense of will we ever know if it was the truth or not? <laughs> I just I mean, like, because you said what they thought. Yeah. So it's never been. Has it ever been confirmed? <sighs> Confirmation's a hard thing to come by, Renee. <laughs> I mean, as as I'm sure you're aware now, too. Right. Your yeah. Players Association yeah. and the, the the National Basketball Players Association for the for the, the guys in the NBA. Um, a lot of common people, I think, work, you know, some work for both. There's some overlap, I believe, um, and certainly sharing of information. The leagues, and of course, the WNBA run by the NBA, the leagues are going to have this ability to claim to us in the public, we are losing X amount, or this is where the system is broken. And they can put out the numbers, and they can put out some maybe slight breakdown, generally speaking, that makes it look plausible. And we will always look at it with a bit of a jaded view because we're not going to see the books. We can't. Right. Now, Renee, your union can see the books. The The NBA players union, those guys, their, their lawyers and, and, and uh, economists can see the books. And the league's 
response or defense when people tried to cast any doubt on on these reporting uh, reported figures would say, the union has seen our books. Our books are open. They've seen it all. And then the union would come back with, yeah, but you don't include depreciation on your you know, the uh, the team and the the building and this and that. And you can hide stuff and there's all this you know chicanery going on. And as a reporter covering it all, like, all right, first of all, didn't major in economics. I was an English major. Right. Very right. useful. Um, and I can't see the books and I, and I wouldn't understand the damn books if I saw them. So short answer to your question today, I, I no, we'll never know for sure. And it's also in the union's interest. I should say, as long as I'm being cynical, which is my job, um, <laughs> it, it's, you know, the union, the, 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 the league is always going to say we're losing this money. The union, it's always going to be in their interest, uh, for public relations purposes to say, well, sure, they show us the books, but we don't believe it because of X, Y, Z. And so we still think that mm. they're, they're exaggerating their losses. Um, you know, the bottom line is I, as it's just one piece of this with the resolution, right? They went from 57% of, of BRI going to the players down to this basically 50, 50 split players salaries in the last 10 years have exploded as we all know. So one point that the league made that mathematically was true was if we do this, yeah, you'll be earning a smaller percentage of the pie but you'll be making a lot more money. It's a smaller percentage of a much bigger pie. And in fact, I think league revenues were four billion back then. Adam Silver on a conference call just before we started taping this said that league revenues are going to be ten billion this season. And so the players are making fifty percent of ten billion instead of fifty-seven percent of four billion. So everyone's done okay. <laughs> yeah, I'd say not bad. Wow. Um, I it's hard to escape. The conclusion when looking at all of this and all the things that have happened in the 10 years since that for every reform that comes out of uh, labor and league negotiations or tweaking with the CBA or, or whatever the case may be, the effects of, you know, signing a new TV deal, uh, changes to contract lengths, et cetera, um, that all of these tweaks come with a bevy of unforeseen consequences that almost make the original reason for doing the thing moot. I think, you know, you mentioned it. The, the original idea was we got to rein in costs. Players are making too much of the pie. And yet now we are in a situation in which uh, players make a ton of money. They do it on shorter contracts now. Uh, so there's more <laughs> player movement than ever. And then, you know, one of the uh, solutions to uh, the issues of players fleeing the teams that, that drafted them was the Supermax, which now it's debatable whether that holds anybody down at all anymore. People will sign it and then with the full understanding they can just leave anyway if they really wanted to. So... <laughs> Have we ever actually fixed anything with, in the NBA? It just it just feels like every solution creates more problems. Are you saying more money, more problems? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I am saying. I am saying that. Uh, accurate, accurate. That could be one title of of the history of the NBA: uh, modern labor. <laughs> Uh, conflicts, more money, more problems. The other one could be like, you know, David Stern's jumbo book of unattended consequences or something like that would have been a, yeah. that'd be a great name for the, the NBA's like rename the CBA. CBA is a very boring name. The jumbo book yeah. of unattended, unattended consequences is much more interesting. Okay. Yeah. We'll remember that one. <laughs> um, no, wait, but it's, so it's true. What Jason said is absolutely true. The league is constantly trying to tweak something to 
accomplish some particular purpose, more uh, team stability, more uh, uh, you know parity or competitive balance across the league. And every single time it backfires or creates these unintended consequences. And I think often unforeseen. I think the most dramatic is one that we don't spend a lot of time talking about, but it's just so obvious now. The first lockout, which I also covered, <laughs> um, the 1998-99 season, so the 98 lockout, that one is what resulted in the max contract. Well, the max contract's mm-hmm. unintended consequence is if you've got one superstar, you can now afford to slap, you know, throw another two or three under your salary cap because they can't make their actual market value. Right. So that's that. There's there's one that's as old as 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 the max contract itself. Twenty something years, we've had this unintended consequence of max salaries, so that you wouldn't have a bunch of guys who you know maybe aren't really worth it or demanding twenty million, thirty million, forty million. What? All right, great. Now they're capped, but now teams can collect more superstars under one salary cap, and you have super teams. Um, so that 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 flies in the face of the NBA's stated goal of competitive balance. Part of the problem is just that. Guys are making so much money now that they can afford to take risks that their predecessors would not have. So Larry Bird, we talk about bird rights all the time, right? They created bird rights in the mid-80s so that the Celtics could keep Larry Bird, for instance, and so that you could always go over the cap, we call it a soft cap, so you could keep your own guys. Because, hey, you drafted them, you developed them, they're your star, you should be able to... And that, that was really persuasive. For decades, stars almost never left in free agency. Part of that was just that, you know, that the times did not allow for it, right? Like LeBron broke that barrier and that's why guys feel freer to do it now. But back then it just wasn't done in part because of convention or quaint notions of loyalty or whatever, but in part because bird rights meant you could make a lot more if you stayed put. Well, now you'll still make a lot more if you stayed put, but it's the difference between like 170 million or 200 million. So the 30 million you're quote unquote leaving on the table, you're still stupid rich. So that has emboldened guys to make the kinds of decisions that their predecessors, other all-stars would not have made because back then the sacrifice you would make by, by, by denying your own bird rights, by leaving that behind and choosing another team was actually a significant loss to your bank account that would affect you for years. Well, you know, you talk about the soft cap and it made me think of something because there's a lot of talk about the hard cap right now and it becoming a reality. So knowing what we know in the history, what do you think? Is it is it a real possibility that the hard cap becomes a reality? So I've been covering the league since 97. I don't know how many CBAs in that time. Two lockouts and multiple CBAs. Every single negotiation starts with like this stack of stuff that like the league lawyers throw on the table. Like hard cap is like the first thing at the top. And then the union throws a fit and says, we're never doing it. It's a blood issue. It's this, that, (laughs) all right, fine. Not the hard cap, but we'd really like a much stiffer luxury tax. And we want to, we want to start creating things like the apron and multiple mid-level exceptions, one for the taxpayer teams, one for the non-tax. So try to. So they created in the last um, coming out of that lockout in 2011, they did create what's kind of a virtual hard cap, which is that if you have if you have acquired a player in a sign and trade, or if you have used the full mid-level exception, you do those things. You are now hard capped at a number that is above the actual cap. Um, so there is a pseudo hard cap if you opt for certain features of the CBA in a given year. Um, what the league really would love is to just say hard cap period. 
no cap exceptions, eliminate all that stuff. Every team gets 120 or whatever to spend. Um, and look, there's some, there's, I think there are some competitive, good competitive virtues to that. I could make the case for why the hard cap is a good idea. It's not great for players. It's, it is certainly anti-capitalist yeah. and all that stuff. But from a, a league uh, competitive balance standpoint, it, it, it has a lot of, of appeal, I think. But no, the next CBA, within the next couple of years, the league's going to come in. That's going to be on the front sheet again. The union's going to howl and, 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 and chortle and whatever and maybe stomp out of the room. And then they'll throw it away and they'll bring it back five years after that. Howard, have you remembered the CBA? Like, do you know it by heart? The way that you just recite, <laughs> right? like, that was pretty wild, the way you just recite. Like, do you know the CBA I, pretty much by heart? Uh, no, I am no Larry Kuhn or, or uh, <laughs> Larry Lit. Shout, out, shout out to Larry Kuhn, the, the OG of, of salary cap, uh, self-made cap experts. Um, Larry's so good at this stuff that teams would call him for advice back before every team had its own, like, army of like cap experts. So thank you, Renee. Uh, uh, I appreciate that. I am nowhere near that level. Um, I've just, there's a lot of stuff that's just gotten jammed into my skull over the last 24 years of covering this league. And some of it's actually stuck. Um, regarding the, the hard cap, one thing that has changed uh, since the, the last lockout is a movement of real money into NBA ownership um, venture capital money with that kind of like new financial firepower, a new blood in ownership. Is there a world in which the owners would say, we'll lock out for it. We will lock out for hard cap. We'll do it. We'll go to the mattresses. Because they know they can ride it out as a bunch of yeah. like billionaires. There are, I don't know what the head count is on billionaires among the 30 ownership groups now, Yeah, but it's high. <laughs> <laughs> like this was wow. once a mom and pop operation. Like every team was like family owned and you had a pole yeah. and you had the buses and that's not it anymore. It, it's, a, it's a lot of hedge fund guys and VC guys and, and, and billionaires. Yeah. They could afford to shut down for a year. They'd be fine. I think the flip side of that is that players, because of the aforementioned riches that are now flowing into the league, there used to be a time when they would like, oh, we got to create a strike fund, a lockout fund, just in case, so that the, the the minimum salary guys can you know can be supported through the months of of no paychecks. If it happened now, sure, the owners have no problem whatsoever writing it out. They might ruin the damn league, but they'd have no problem yeah. writing it out into, as individuals. Uh, the players are actually much better armed now than they've ever been too, because the average NBA salary is like eight nine million a year. Now, not everybody's making that, but uh, there's there's a, a lot. Uh, I, I'd have to look up. I'd like this is the part where I don't have memorized, but whatever the minimum yeah. salary, <laughs> whatever the minimum salary is now, like the minimum used to be, if you were a undrafted rookie, the minimum was like a couple hundred thousand, three hundred thousand. I think that that minimum is probably somewhere up in like six, seven hundred thousand range now. Probably, don't quote me. Um, so you know, guys could sit out a season if they had to. So I don't. That, I don't know that that particular threat would fly anymore. Mm. You know, it's interesting because you were talking about the minimum used to be, and obviously with the WNBA, the maximum for us is 220. But talking about the mom and pop of it all, has the NBA, you said something that was interesting, like, yeah, the owners are pretty much all billionaires, but there's a lot of millionaire athletes too. How do you think player empowerment has affected the league in general? Because you see now where players, 
they don't really care about like they're going to do what they want to do, whether the rules apply or not. Like players will be like, I don't care. I'm leaving. So what do you think about like just the player empowerment that is here now in today's game? It's completely changed the NBA. It just has. Um, If you took and I haven't done the head count recently on this one, but the last 10 years of movement by players who were, say, all star or all NBA or all maybe even all defensive team, whatever metric you want to use for that players at the top, top level. There's been more of that movement in the last 10 years than any previous decade easily. And maybe all those decades combined, frankly. Uh, And it's multiple times too, right? LeBron didn't just leave Cleveland for Miami. He left Miami to go back to Cleveland. And they left Cleveland to go to LA. Um, And, you know, Kawhi has jumped and Durant has jumped. I've noted this before, like of the most recent, the, the guys who dominated not only championships, but regular season MVPs over the last 10 years, LeBron's moved multiple times. Kawhi's moved multiple times. One was a trade de- uh, demand that ended up, or a threat to leave anyway, that ended up getting him traded to Toronto, of course. Durant has left multiple times. Like These are the guys who account for like a majority of MVP trophies and finals tro- uh, finals MVPs and, and championships over the last 10 years. Like Steph is the only one of that group that stayed put at that level. So, and look, what, what are we talking about going into the season? Where's Ben Simmons going to go? How many, yep. how many games in a row does, do the Blazers have to lose before Dame finally says, yo, my turn. How many games do yeah. the Wizards have to lose before Bradley Beal says, yo, my turn? Um, this is the, the, the league has changed irre- irrevocably due to player empowerment and shorter contracts that give the players all the leverage in the world. And, the, and I should note, it's the league that wanted the shorter contracts. They ratcheted from it used to be. Exactly. See, there we go again. Yep. They've done it again. Exactly what I was <laughs> saying. Every time they come up with a solution to a thing, it ends up being their, the thing that creates more of the issue that they are originally trying to avoid every single time. Every time, Howard. Every time. Uh, when, they, when they created the 99, the 98-99 CBA out of that lockout, they created for the first time uh, maximum. I think that was the first time they had maximum number of years. So it was seven for bird free agents and six for others. The next CBA, it went from seven and six to six and five. Then they went to five and four, which is where we're at now. So most guys in the league are on four-year deals at most. And players are making so much that they can actually choose to go short also, which means that they always have the threat of the ticking clock. Like, if you don't yeah. trade me, I'm going to walk away yeah. for nothing. You're going to look like a jackass. So... <laughs> Uh, Howard, one last question very quickly, infamously, and the comment associated with the lockout that made my eyebrows arch the highest uh, was David Stern's reported comment that he knew where the bodies were buried. Rest in peace, Howard. Uh, David Stern. Uh, So what do you what what did he mean by that? And what was the context for that? Uh, Rest in peace, David Stern. I miss him. Um, God, what was the context for that? I believe that was in the midst. That was one of those reported comments that he made across the negotiating table when he was like maybe pointing yes. fingers and threatening and, and doing his best David Stern badass. Like I've seen this, by the way, whether it's in negotiations, which of course we were not in the room for, or whether it's in person when I ran afoul of David a couple of times, man, uh, he could go gangsta pretty quick. And so <laughs> I like that, that one... I think I think what he was saying to the union at that time was probably like, don't push me on this stuff or, or test me or question me on this. I've been around longer than any of you. And, you know, <laughs> I, I know I, there's a, I assume those were figurative buried bodies. <laughs> I assume. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. what I was assuming the yeah. whole time, too. Um, so let me know. <laughs> may, who knows? Remember, in the wake of the lockout, 
Billy Hunter also got found out for all the crap he was pulling oh and bezeling. We, we don't have we don't have time maybe for that. That is a whole other side. Maybe that's what David <laughs> meant. Maybe maybe he yeah. knew about all Billy's shenanigans. That is a whole other thing. He's Howard Beck of Sports Illustrated. Check out his podcast, The Crossover Howard. It was uh, so delightful to have uh, to have you on. Best of luck in your coverage. The season gets Howard, underway this thank week. Thank you for discovering Jason because now I'm sitting here. <laughs> He's the host of Take Line. So thank you, Howard, for doing what you do, being the ultimate journalist. Uh, you're you're welcome. Thank you for having me, Jason. Again, you're you're welcome. I'm I'm happy to have provided you with this great career. Which, by the way, you have paid it back in in in, in uh, proportionally uh, beyond proportionally because. Uh, I have enjoyed the hell out of all of your work over the years and your podcasts. Uh, I listened to every single Game of Thrones binge mode so uh, and everything wow. since. So thank you. Awesome. Well, I, I'm, delight, I'm delighted to hear that. I'm canceling the check that I formerly was going to mail now that I've been <laughs> absolved of that. Howard, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That's it for us. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to Take Line Show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode, plus my digital series, All Caps NBA, which airs every Friday. Coming back soon. Check it out. Goodbye. Let's go. Take Line is a crooked media production. Show is produced by Carlton Gillespie and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Our contributing producers are Caroline Reston, Elijah Cohn, and Jason Gallagher. Engineering, editing, and sound design by Sarah Gibble Laska and the folks at Chapter Four. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.